Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day and another opportunity to come before you, your church, your children, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for causing your word to take root in our heart and bear fruit in our lives and help us to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. I love the book of Numbers. Way back in the old covenant. Glean a lot of really cool things from that book though. The one before Deuteronomy. Fourth book of the Bible I believe. And uh, Numbers chapter 21, this is, you know, I've, I've ministered uh, on, out of Numbers chapter 20 when, when Moses strikes the rock, instead of speaking to it like God asked him to, he struck it again like he did many years before. This is on their last final approach to the promised land and and uh, he and he uh, he screwed up and he and Aaron uh, he caused them the rebellion against God not to do it like he said and to honor him and it caused them not to be able to go into the promised land so this was this is something happened after that so in this short window of time, while they were still out there in the desert on their the last year or two before they went into the promised land, I just say that because you realize that on that, that second time at Meribah when he struck the rock, by then you're, you're just shocked that every time they complain and rebel against God and against his leadership and against his goodness, you know. Because it's been going on for 40 years and they're still doing it, you know. So, I just want to let you know this is after that. And they're doing it again. And they, they had, Aaron had died. God said he's going to die up on this mountain. So, go up there and switch over his, his clothes and uh, give them to Eliezer, his son, and and he's going to take over him. He's going to die here. He can't go in. And so they're, they're on their final approach. And nevertheless, I'll start in the fourth verse of the 21st chapter of Numbers. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people, people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, even the manna from heaven. They, they loathed it. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, <laughs> for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Pretty simple, huh? <laughs> that's what he did. And that's and it worked. God in his mercy, even though their rebellion and their complaining had brought the serpents, God is merciful, isn't he? And when we turn to him and repent, just like we were talking about last week, Jesus said to 70 times 7, didn't he? Just keep on forgiving. And that's what he does. He shows it here. And he provided a way. This is a picture of salvation, isn't it? The, we have all been bitten by that serpent of sin. All fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty for that sin is death. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus is this free gift of salvation. The grace of God. Just by looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting Him as our Lord and Savior. You know... It's really that simple. Just look and live. <laughs> look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The one who paid the price. Jesus, go over to Matthew chapter 11. I'll show you something here just to kind of set this all in place. Jesus liked to use parables to make things simple for people who wanted to understand, didn't he? He used natural examples. And look what he said here in Matthew chapter 11. The 25th verse. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then this is where Jesus goes on to say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest in the 28th verse. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing hard, nothing overwhelming. No, I've been in places, Tavana and I, where you just left scratching your head trying to understand what they're talking about. You know, 
a theologian can really make uh, make the gospel complicated. I've been amongst those that I really believe that their goal was to make you think that only they could understand the things of God and that you really needed them to explain. Matter of fact, I've been told that by some. And that's just not the case. I mean, we'll go on learning about God and about the gospel forever, I believe. We'll always talk fondly of it and talk about it amongst one another, even once we get home to heaven. But there's nothing really complicated about it. And the Lord wants to keep it simple. Jesus said he was so glad he thanked the father there in Matthew chapter 11 that he had made it made it un, un, uneasy for those who thought they were so wise and intelligent in this world and made it simple for those who had this childlike faith. That's all it requires. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah, right after Song of Solomon, after Psalms and Proverbs and Psalms. Isaiah chapter 55. Right in the beginning of the 55th chapter of Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Here it is again, a picture of salvation and Isaiah, the prophet, God speaking through him, says that faith for our salvation is like eating and drinking and like hearing. (laughs) I know there are some with some afflictions that would not allow them to do that. For, but for the most part, wouldn't you agree that those are the simplest things that all of us do, eat and drink and hear? We can all do that, right? I mean, it doesn't. this is something that doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're fat or skinny or white or black or rich or poor or educated or uneducated. Everyone eats and drinks and hears. Whosoever will is what the gospel is for. That's who it's for. Whosoever will is willing to hear the Lord and to partake of His flesh and drink of His blood. Men are the ones who complicate the gospel, turn it into religion, and it limits God. And it, frankly, is why so many people have a terrible 
opinion of the church and of God and of the Lord. And it's not him. Jesus is irresistible. Although he's not a he's not this effeminate Jesus that the the world makes him out to be to fit their own lifestyle standards. Not at all. Only people who don't really read about him and read his words and his teachings think of him that way. Because he could be quite tough. And believe me, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And when we see him again, he's going to be coming back as the conquering king. But he is a loving and good God. And there's no reason for people to feel anything against him. And to, you know, that pastor in Turkey is in prison that we're, we're trying so desperately to get back. He's not there really for being a spy. He wasn't a spy. His indictment, as it were, says that he's accused of Christianizing their country. That's his crime. That is a crime in most, you know, we're not the, we're not the biggest place in the world. We think that everything revolves around us, but it's a big old world. And the majority of people have never even heard of Jesus. They don't know anything about him. And in many places, it's a crime to preach it. It's gotten to where countries that, not too dissimilar to ours, um, it's been pretty well outlawed in the schools and in the public places. They outlawed Christianity in schools in Canada recently. They took the Bible and prayer out of our schools in the 60s. And in England, I think you can get in trouble. You have to be very careful. You can't, you can't, I can't read a couple of scriptures and then elaborate on that for a period of time. I could get arrested for that. I can only say the Bible says and say exactly what it says. I can't, otherwise I'd be maybe arrested for hate speech. If I said, God says, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. And that any sexual intimacy outside the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is against God in a sin. That will provoke their wrath and cause you to be arrested. But just having this Bible right here will get you killed in many countries. But really, I'm not talking about that so much as I am our own country here and how it's gotten to be. Uh, they, they really want to make it where Christianity is hate speech. And if we're not careful, you know, I think if, uh, if things would have went the other way last November, that's where we'd be right now, heading down that path very quickly. And if they have their way, they've moved even further away from God now. And they're actually embracing it, you know, with the election of this young woman in New York. They're like, hey, jump on board with that or just get out of the way. So they're not even not even making any excuses for it anymore. Some of them are still resisting, but I think it's uh, they're falling away as fast as they can. And people that don't see that are uh, are in for big trouble. But. 
just talking about Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, coming out of religion and into relationship. That's what that's what uh, my big deal was when the Lord really got a hold of me. I, I think I've told people before that I'd been baptized a couple of times. Once I was drunk. And then to years and years later to get a revelation that all I had gotten was wet. I never got anything out of that because there was no heart uh, of the matter. You know, I had never really given over to the Lord my whole self. I had never set aside my way and my will for his way and his will. And so that's where I find a lot of people in our culture. You know, we want people to believe the gospel, but then we want them to give, you know, in our churches. And it, it limits, it limits it because when preachers are real heavy on that, it makes it where it seems like maybe it's only available to those that have, uh, have, some, have some money to give, you know. You notice I don't, I don't preach the offering. I have preached the offering. I do it if I go other places sometimes and, and I don't mind doing it. But I just, I appreciate just the pureness and the simplicity of the gospel. I don't take anything from the church. I don't mind doing that. I think I would. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind uh, getting to a place where that's all I had to do and the church provided for me. But I don't, I'm glad that God has provided for me in other ways. And I don't mind working another job because there's no stumbling block for people, you see. Because people are easily offended. And I just want to be able to preach the simplicity of the gospel of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Because so many have complicated People, these pastors, they want them to come in. They throw out a big net, get in. But then they hammer on them about being water baptized and, and, uh, and joining their church. They want it down on the books. You know what I mean? <laughs> Although no, those things don't save anybody. They're good to do. And I understand the reasoning behind it. But at the same time, it doesn't save anybody. Only this relationship with Jesus, the real Jesus. I know a lot of people that they don't hear, they won't hear anybody about anything to do with church because they were raised in church. They were, they were set aside when they were babies and they were sprinkled and they were, they were, uh, they went through catechism or whatever, you know, and so they think they know all there is to know and just a short conversation to tell you they don't know really, really anything about the Lord. They're just a little bit religious. And I find that I have a much easier time with just a regular old-fashioned sinner who just wants to, has always been kind of a good person, but they know they've made some mistakes. And man, when they find out that really the Lord loves them and He really wants them... that person is so much easier to deal with than the person who thinks they know everything and really are lacking in almost every way regarding a relationship with God. It's harder to break through that religious mindset than it is just a regular old-fashioned sinner. (laughs) And those are the ones I feel, I feel my heart goes out to them just as much as it does the regular run-of-the-mill sinner because they need Jesus just like I did. Tavana and I, 
we really thought we were Christians, you know. But I guarantee you, if we would have died, we'd have gone to hell. We had never, never entered into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's where many, many so-called Christians are. And all they really need to do is what it says in Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because He is. Just look upon Jesus. Magnify the Lord above all the other things in your life. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. There's nothing that I did to earn it. The grace of God, like we talked about last week, is different from the mercy of God. The mercy of God just didn't give us what we deserved. By the mercy of God, we didn't get the death penalty because Jesus took it for us. But by the grace of God, we've been empowered to overcome a life of sin. Been empowered to do the job that we do. To be a parent. To be a steward of God's love and time and resources and the gifts that He's given us. By the grace of God, He's given us the strength to get up and stand on our feet every day and to head out on the journey that He has for us. It's for all who will. Red, yellow, black, or white, skinny, fat. God is for you. Romans 8.31 says God is for us, doesn't it? Look over in Romans chapter 8 real quick. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if God is for you, what can man do to you? If God is for you, why are we so fearful all the time? If God is for us, why can't we practice a life of faith? Because faith is not something that just happens. Just like hope isn't. We have to... We have to think on these things. We have to magnify these things in our hearts and minds until the fears and worries and stress of the world becomes minimized and all we see is the promises and the love of God for us 
And we believe what we don't see more than what we do. Because God said it and that settles it. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, He had His three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they were right there with Him. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They saw Jesus transfigured and He became, His clothes became white as light. And his face shone bright. And they saw the coming of the kingdom of God right there. They were witnesses. And they heard the voice of our Father in heaven who said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. What were the other three words he said to them? Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. He's greater than the law of Moses. He's greater than the prophets who spoke of His coming. He's here now. Listen to Him. And later on, when Peter would tell of this, he said, we have a more sure word. He said, don't go by what you see. Even though he, was, he had seen it for himself. And heard God for himself. He said this word is more sure. Than anything we will ever see. And unless this word lines up with what we see. Then don't believe what we see. Until it lines up with this word. The worst thing we can do. When our bank account is in the red. Or when we're driving an old broken down car. Is to talk about that old broken down car that we have to drive. Or talk about how broke we are. Or how sick we are. The worst thing you can do. Is give glory to the devil for those things. Don't agree with what the devil is trying to. Perpetuate in your life. Speak against it. Be thankful for what you do have. And speak that out. And thank God. For what you have right there and then. And then find you a seed of some kind to sow in that direction. Toward what you want. And speak it into existence. And stand firm on the promise of God regarding that situation. And don't settle for anything less than God's best. Don't be the one responsible for enforcing the devil's position in your life. By giving him authority By your own words. Trust God. Look unto Jesus. The author and finisher. Of your faith. One last thing. And then. We'll be done. But I. Comes to mind about. I was mentioned hope. Look in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I won't say what the first part of the chapter, I won't read that because he goes on and he's telling them the bad things that can happen for those who 
rebel against God. But in verse 9 of the 6th chapter of Hebrews, I'll start there. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, and that's what I'll say to all of you, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Amen. Things that belong to salvation. You hear that? Things that belong to salvation. Now, now that's, that's something that everybody should grab a hold of right there. He said, not for all these bad things that can happen, all these bad things God did, and all these things that happen to those that are in unbelief and rebellion. I got, I got better hopes for you guys. He says, no, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And then he goes on to explain things that belong to salvation. Better things come with salvation, you see. For God is not unjust... So as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants us to have the full assurance of hope. Hope in God is a confident expectation of good from God. Not just wishing and thinking maybe hope in as a Christian in God is a confident expectation. You can rest assured. He said he wants us to rest in full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there's the formula. If you're looking for a formula... Faith and patience. And really all that hope is, is faith prolonged by patience for something that we're believing for. And then faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we have to get our hopes up. I... Our, our daughter told us last week, because they're, they're trying to find a new house. They've already sold theirs, and she's found one. It got turned down on one offer, and then now she found another one. She, but I don't want to get my hopes up on that. I said, wait a minute. Yes, you do. You have to get your hopes up. If you don't, have a, if you don't get your hopes up, what are you going to release your faith toward? Get your hopes up. Because... There's some things that come with salvation that are good. And the results are good for those who are willing to get their hopes up in God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek without beginning, without end. We have to lay hold of this hope. We have to keep things simple and remember that no matter what all comes with the church life, with the church building, with the giving and the baptizing and the, the, the Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school, traditional Sunday school and the, and the cake bake and the this and the that, that with Christ it's always simple. He's always saying, look to me. Come get along with, alone with me. Lift up your eyes and look upon me. Don't look at that storm in your life. Don't look at these terrible situations. Don't look at all the things that you think that you're not doing right. And where did I go wrong? And I'm doing everything. I'm believing. I'm holding my mouth just right. And I'm still not... She says, stop all that. Stop all that. I don't, I don't see anything wrong when I look at you. I love you. I just want you to look upon me and to believe on the promises that I have spoken over you. I have spoken the blessing over your life. And I cannot lie. The only thing you're doing wrong is you're taking your eyes off of me and you're putting it on the sea. The raging wind and the waves. And that's why you're starting to sink. But just put your gaze back on me and trust in me and realize that I'm here to make things easy for you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. If you just trust in me. But you got to get your hopes up and put your hope in me. And in 1 Samuel, I think the 30th chapter, David was in real trouble. Y'all remember? Oh man, he was in real trouble. He had gone off and done some fighting and came back and they had stolen and burned and killed everything and stolen everything they owned and their women and children and animals. And it looked bad. They were already tired. His own men turned on him again. Talking about stoning him, putting him to death. But he got his hopes up. And David didn't, it didn't just come and chase him down and all of a sudden, oh, I'm encouraged, I'm hopeful. No, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He got his focus on the Lord, the goodness of God, the history of God, the track record of God in his life, the promises of God toward him. And he preached himself happy, just like Paul did. 
And he encouraged himself in the Lord. And we can do the same thing. Amen. No matter what comes at us. Jesus is not moved by any of the situations and circumstances that trouble us. Everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's not a. He's not confined by four walls or anything else. He loves us and he finds no fault in us. And he has great things in store. So now he's saying, come and seek me with your whole heart and you will find me. I have great plans, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And he cannot lie. Father, thank you for your precious word, for your love toward us, for the way that you are able to see us holy and righteous in Christ because you look at us through the blood of Christ and you see us perfect and holy and whole just as you see him. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much and providing so perfectly for us. We thank you for the great things that you have in store. And, Lord, we look forward to hearing your plans for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.